Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Pitches Be Crazy. I'm your host, Lily Schumacher. For those of you who may be listening for the first time, Pitches Be Crazy is a weekly MLB talk show hosted on ColorCast, recorded live every Thursday. Every week, I discuss standings, performances, and notable news and events throughout the week in baseball. If this sounds good to you, please feel free to subscribe or follow me on your podcast platform of preference or tune in every week live on ColorCast uh, by going to the App Store and downloading it there. So thank you very much. We're going to start off with what I've kind of now always started doing in terms of going through with the uh, standings right now in baseball, mostly kind of talking about any significant outliers, first place of each division, that sort of thing. So we're going to start with the AL East per usual. Yankees are still holding on to that number one spot by a good deal. Uh, There is a story I might interject today because I didn't expect it when I was originally writing some of my notes, but we're probably going to talk about it. So Yankees, uh, they're currently five games ahead of Tampa Bay, and Toronto is eight games behind them. So not faring well, but Yankees just really seem to have it under control. Obviously, all is not lost. It's early in the season, so any of your teams are there. There's hope. Don't worry. Um, In the AL Central, the Minnesota Twins are currently your first place team, three games ahead of the Chicago White Sox. So this is actually a fairly close division right now. Uh, Cleveland is four and a half games back, so they're not, you know, not too shabby. Uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting division to see shake up because Chicago right now is obviously underperforming. I wouldn't necessarily go as far to say that Minnesota is overperforming, but, you know, something to think about, something to ponder. Uh, moving into the AL West, this one, it's, it's pretty tight at the top. So Houston, the Astros are leading the division, but the Angels are a game back. So I know within sort of uh, the last little bit of time, I believe they've been flip-flopping a little bit, and that's probably something we can expect to see for the foreseeable future. Uh, The shocker there is that Texas, the Rangers, are third in the division right now um, in front of the Mariners and Athletics. I guess, you know, not shocking that it's the Athletics are still last, but I'm surprised that the Rangers are a game ahead of Seattle, so... We'll see if that stays or if that remains as we move forward. Um, Let's go to the National League. So in the NL East, the Mets still in control, baby. They're still cruising. Seven games ahead of the Phillies, seven and a half games in front of the Marlins, and eight games in front of Atlanta. So, you know, pretty close for third or for second here, but the Mets are just in control. They're just wheeling and dealing. Uh, the, in the, uh, NL West, Dodgers lead in currently, uh, shouldn't be too surprising, but San Diego is a game and a half back and San Francisco, they are three games back all with a really good run differential. So I think that's something we'll probably continue to see, um, in the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are still holding on to that top spot. 
uh, four games ahead of St. Louis. And aside from that, uh, surprisingly, uh, the Pirates are in third uh, in that division. Of course, Chicago is a, you know, only half a game behind them. But still, we got to talk about that. That's that's just pretty spectacular. It's pretty spectacular, to be brutally honest. So, you know, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, uh, <laughs> my mom said, go Brewers. And Joe said, I could hear an added excitement with the announcement of the first place Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, I mean, it, it just sounds pretty good, you know. I like to say it. I like to talk about it when I can. It just sounds good. Like, come on. There's a nice ring to it. So, all right. Now, now let's jump into our stories. So, I got a range of stories tonight. Uh, you know, there's a lot happening. And we're kind of hitting that point in the season where we're starting to get a better sense for these teams, what to expect out of them. Obviously, nothing is set in stone, but... We've had a little bit of time to feel things out. And there is a another issue there. So this is where I feel like we start to see more guys starting to go on the IL, uh, different guys getting injured, things like that. It's not fun, not ideal, but it's just kind of getting to that point where you're going to start seeing more of that. And I think that's kind of been something that's and present, I'd say, in most uh, baseball news, everybody from like hearing about Kershaw being injured uh, to Bryce Harper, which I'll get to. And then you also have a very significant one, and that is Max Scherzer. So Max Scherzer, he last night in last night's game, uh, he pulled himself out of the game because he you know, started to notice that he had a, like, tightness in his side and noticed it and was decided to just say, hey, uh, the second I notice this, let's just take me out. Uh, let's do the smart thing here and remove myself from the game so I don't make this any worse. He ended up having an MRI after um, the game, I believe. Actually, it might have been this morning. And it essentially revealed that he has a moderate to high-grade internal oblique strain, which has an estimated recovery time of six to eight weeks. So, you know, it, it's just not good. And I think, too, when it's somebody like that, like Max Scherzer, who's been around the block, when you know and you feel that and you just can immediately tell, you know when something's not good. Like, that just is true for anybody. You know your body and you know when something's not right. And I really respect him making that call and just saying, you know what, Th something's wrong. There's no reason to push it and keep me in this one. Let's just make sure this is all right. And it's just a really tough blow for the Mets, considering that Jacob deGrom is also out. And you have these two key pieces in your starting rotation that are just not present. And... I think they said Scherzer at the earliest could be back in July, but it's hard to be optimistic. Um, DeGrom is on the 60-day IL, and it's just a really rough place for New York to be in with their pitching. Of course, they have really, you know, still been really able to keep it under control. Their offense has been showing up. I know Pete Alonso walked it off today, but it's still really concerning 
because at the end of the day, I think everybody always says it and it's such a cliche and you don't want to admit it, but pitching means so much when you're trying to make a consistent run because, you know, offensive slumps happen. That's just something that kind of comes and goes, but that's what really, I think, tends to be a bigger deal that if you lose one of those guys in your rotation, it's like you're done realistically it's like yeah one player how is that going to make that much of a difference but when it starts to add up by having your two aces just out and out I mean nearly indefinitely it's just rough it's not a good situation to be in so obviously this is a very different tone than I usually take with the Mets but I really feel for them I hope that they can continue to you know do well and overcome these obstacles because I think they can. I I really think they can do it. It's just a tough blow and it's just going to be really interesting watching them for the next couple of months pre-All-Star break because it's going to change a lot for them and it's going to change a lot in terms of what they're going to want to do, how they're going to want to rest guys, potentially calling guys up, and then also with trades. So it's something that I would keep an eye out on and just continue to see what happens with them. But Again, absolutely a bummer for them. So moving on, I don't want to spend too much time talking about injuries, but I feel the need to kind of, you know, cover a couple of the significant ones right away. Um, I guess this one, to to a certain extent, has a little bit more of an optimistic spin to it. So Bryce Harper, we all recently found out he he is injured. And, you know, it's definitely not ideal um, to have a guy like that out, but he is still in the game, and that's through the graces, the good graces of the designated hitter being universal now. So, essentially, he has a small tear in his ulnar collateral ligament, and It looks like at this point, he's not going to be able to return into the outfield, into right field, his position until late July or early August. And potentially it might be later than that. So not great news for the Phillies. I think, you know, he is a pretty solid defender. I would say it's not more important to have his bat, but there's at least a positive spin in it that you're not losing him completely, that you're still going to have him there. He's still in the lineup. It's just that he can't contribute that way. It's not ideal. You have this guy, you pay big money for him. He has that huge contract. It's not ideal. But again, I really respect that he's, you know, still trying to make an impact. So contributing, but hopefully, hopefully that healing goes well. And again, that early, that late July, early August estimate is at the earliest. So hopefully he, it's within that time frame and things look good. I know that said he just got an injection. So hopefully he heals fast because, man, just brutal. Brutal things happening out in the East. Like, wow, what is happening, man? So moving on, let, let's go to let's go to the AL Central. I got a little little thing to talk about because you know I'm not I don't know if I'm gonna make it a thing where I always talk about him or always try to talk about him, 
but it's just like you know i see i look th- you know i look at articles i kind of t- you know take tabs on what's happening what are people talking about and you know as soon as i'm looking around kind of reviewing what i missed from the week as soon as i see anything bobby Wood jr i'm like okay sold gonna talk about him like how can i i love bobby Wood jr i think he's such a fun player and there was a phenomenal article uh, on MLB uh, talking about the future of the of the Kansas City Royals and why there's actually a lot to be excited for with them. And I think you know it's been pretty well known that they do have a they do have a fairly nice farm system and they have a lot of these young guys who are really really immensely talented. And we all have heard of Bobby Witt Jr. That's we're well aware. And it's hard to not be, but he had a phenomenal, I think it was 436 foot home run. Uh, And get this, all of his home runs so far this season have gone over 400 feet. So again, he's 21. He's killing it. He's doing a good job. He also had a really fun uh, cover on Sports Illustrated Kids. And if you haven't seen it, let me see. Actually, I might be able to drop it in the chat. Uh, it's super cute. Uh, <laughs> let me find it. It's just super good. I know uh, Christian Yelich. Honestly, I could probably find that one too. Not to always make it about him. But uh, Christian Yelich, he was on one once. So it was like Sports Illustrated Kids with a puppy. And it was so cute. Now I have to find it. Now I'm like, I I feel obligated. It's my obligation to do that for you guys. So again, I think there, another thing too I wanted to talk about with uh, this Kansas City team was also um, MJ Melendez is also looking really nice. We're looking good. He also um, got a back-to-back nights home. <laughs> he homered in back-to-back nights. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting and was really nice to see was that Zach Greinke was saying that behind the plate, so Melendez is a catcher, was saying that he catches really well and had really high praise for him. And just imagine that, that you're a young guy who's, you know, kind of just getting started in the majors. And Zach Greinke, who's probably going to be a Hall of Famer, is praising you and says that like you're doing a good job come on uh that's pretty awesome so props to him and i think you got i think we got to give the guy credit so it's nice to see that there's you know some hope and some exciting things coming up for kansas city because you know you can't how can't you love that i and like i said they're a team that definitely just deserves it. There's nothing. I have no hatred for that team. And like, come on. If anybody deserves to have like a bounce back season soon or like a bright future, there's a lot of teams. I will say there's a lot of teams. And I know there's some people who do currently like struggling franchises that are probably listening to this. But the Royals, they have had recent success. And it's not to say that. They're all of a sudden going to have the same thing happening again super soon. But I just, like, I can't be that mad about it. I can't be that mad about it. 
Um, also here, I'm going to drop the Christian Yelich one because it's my favorite. But yeah, again, I just like Bobby Witt. And like C. McBride said in the chat, that Bobby kid definitely has his wits about him. Agreed. <laughs> so moving on, moving on, moving on. Anthony Rizzo, I think a lot of people know him for being a... Like, he's a very charismatic guy. A lot of people really like him. I do. I really respect him. He was part of that 2016 World Series Cubs team. And I'd say overall, people really just... He's known for being, like, a nice guy, really charismatic, respectful, etc. So today, um, I believe they were playing the Orioles. The Yankees were playing the Orioles. Um, he got ejected and it wasn't during his at bat. So for context, Anthony Rizzo has only been ejected three times ever in his playing career. So he doesn't get ejected a lot and he's known for being just a class act. And that's not to say that just because you're a class act doesn't mean you can't get ejected, but you know, it's, it's probably going to take a lot for him to act up for that to happen. So during one of his at-bats, he got two really bad back-to-back low uh, or like strike calls that were clearly balls. They were clearly out of the strike zone and he was not happy about it because I think he was saying it had just been really inconsistent the whole game. So then uh, during one of his teammates at-bats, he was watching and I, I wish I had it up right now, but essentially... There was a similar call or a similar pitch being thrown, same location, just a different call. So Rizzo, he gets up out of the dugout, goes to the umpire. I won't say storms like the home plate, but he approaches and he goes up and is clearly arguing and saying, hey, what the hell? What are you, how are you calling it like this? Like, what's going on here? What is this strike zone? This isn't fair. And he got ejected. And... I'm kind of of the idea where sometimes I think it's worth it to be ejected. And I, I don't know how that sounds good, but like, it's the same way where sometimes in a oh, rare basketball reference for me, you know, sometimes when the, you're watching a game, I, I particularly associate this with like college basketball, but where the refs just seem to be doing a terrible job at calling the game and just make ridiculous calls or really targeted ones. And, you know, coach speaks up, gets mad, and gets a technical. Sometimes in the same way, I'm like, I think that's worth it. Sometimes a guy speaking up, getting pissed, getting ejected can be worth it. Obviously depends on what the game is like and the situation that you're in. But it's just like, sometimes it just can't go unnoticed, especially with how umps have been this year. It's been ridiculous. And... I don't like I if this is what it takes for them to kind of get the idea and understand that they're doing a really shitty job. Like, come on, you you just have to you got to get mad sometimes. And Richie is correcting me and saying uh, that sounds like professional, too. That's not just college. Uh, I will mention here that I don't watch the NBA. I only watch college basketball, so. That's my frame of reference. Didn't want to make a sweeping claim about. <laughs> didn't want to make a sleep, sweeping claim about the NBA because I don't watch it, so I don't know. Um, 
Marker says, uh, NCAA over NBA. Right on, Mark. This is what we're all about, dude. Um, but yeah, again, I have nothing but respect for Rizzo doing that. And if you watch him getting ejected, he does it in the most Anthony Rizzo way possible, where he just, you know, approaches and then is saying like, Hey, what? Like, what are we doing here? What's going on? So respect. Uh, I respect, I respect the guy for that. Now, detour. I, man, we've been talking a lot about the Cincinnati Reds, and I don't intend to make it a thing where I feel like I need to just talk about them every week, but God damn it, we need to talk about them every week because there's always something. And I believe it was last Sunday. Um, it was on the 15th. Uh, uh, there was a moment... Something that happened, a game that I think many Reds fans and fans throughout the league will not soon forget because what is an amazing accomplishment ended up being marred by a loss because what the hell happened? So for anybody who is not aware, there was a fantastic game being thrown by Hunter Green, uh, when they were the Reds were playing the Pirates, um, he threw seven and a third innings hitless against the Pirates, striking out nine batters and ending up walking five uh, five guys there. Still, he did a killer job. He did a fantastic job in that game. Um, I know he had thrown, I believe, well over a hundred pitches but I'm not positive. Um, but he is a hard thrower. He's a fast thrower. He has great velocity. And they took him out of the game, obviously, to protect, you know, your young star, which, again, sometimes I, I don't like when they take guys out like that, especially when they're throwing, like, a hitless game or, like, a no-hitter. But when it's somebody who's that young you don't want to push him um, because, again, we're seeing that a lot of these guys are who are coming up in the leagues right now are throwing really hard, uh, insane velocity, and, you know, they're still kind of getting acclimated to the league. He's a rookie. You don't want to all of a sudden put him in a scenario where he's going to get injured already. He's 22. He's my age. So, again, fantastic performance, fantastic outing. Just being able to have a feat like that because again in some of his last outings they weren't the prettiest he wasn't having the best time but what I appreciate about what the Reds are doing is instead of just sending him back down and saying he's not ready they're keeping him in it they're keeping him in it and they're giving him more opportunities and more times to try again see if he can you know maybe do a little bit better next time but just getting all these experiences in so he can be well equipped down the line the thing about this that is extremely disappointing and upsetting to Reds fans, and, you know, I'd say baseball fans alike, is that, you know, you hear that he threw seven and third innings hitless. A no-hitter threw seven and a third. The Reds lost, and they lost 
one to nothing. So Hunter Green is doing this fantastic job. Fantastic job. You know, spectacular, great achievement, great accomplishment. And the Reds put up no run support. Mind you, this is against the Pittsburgh Pirates who have not, I would say, been doing the, you know, most amazing job. But their run differential isn't good. But they also can, like, all of a sudden turn it on in the same way that we've seen the Reds do it a few times. And the worst part about this is that... (laughs) The Pirates didn't record a hit. This is a hitless game for them, and they won. So they managed to get a run in. Um... Without getting a hit. And it's kind of like, come on, man. How does the house is going down? Um, but, you know. So that happened. Um, come on, man. Come on, man. It's just so sad. Like, I feel like that's the most Reds thing that happen is you know you have a no hitter and then the you, you lose it but then the one run that is scored was not because of was not because of a hit like hold on i need to just see real quick how that run was scored um because i don't want to I don't want to leave you hanging. It was... A, okay. Uh, so, Hunter Green and Art Warren combined for eight no-hit innings. <laughs> but what happened was, in the bottom of the eighth, uh, there was one out, and they had the bases loaded with walks. Key Brian Hayes hit a grounder to second. That looked like a potential inning-ending double play. But Lopez bobbled the transfer, and... Basically, uh, Cabrian Hayes was able to beat the throw for an RBI force out, fielder's choice, and they managed to get a run, get on the board, without actually getting a hit. And I know, I think for people who might not know baseball, it sounds weird that somebody technically got a hit, but, and made it to, like, made it to first base, but it's not called a hit or recorded that way. It's just because the sort of, like, Fielder's choice force out. But, again, just sad. Like, you know, I think Hunter Green should still really hold his head up high and be proud of what he's doing, and I'm sure that is how he's leaving from it. But still, so, come on. And here's the ridiculous thing about it. Not that any of this hasn't been ridiculous already, but this... So, okay... I'm just going to read this quote. It was from uh, Red Leg Nation, which is the Cincinnati Reds fan-sided page, fan-sided blog. And they said, quote, losing a no-hitter isn't something that happens every, uh, every often. What? Okay, sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restart. I'm going to start that one over again because there's a typo. So, oops. But, you know, still good writing. Uh, <clears throat> losing a no-hitter isn't something that happens very often. In fact, it was just the sixth time since 1900 that a team had lost a game in which the other team didn't have a hit. 
but all six of those games have come since 1964, with the last coming when the Dodgers beat the Angels in June of 2008. So it's a crazy stat. And of course, if anybody's going to do it this year, it's going to be the 2022 Cincinnati Reds. So I'm going to, I called it my little promo. I was, I said Hunter Green and the curse of the 2022 Cincinnati Reds. And I think that's just the best way of describing it. You know, and the Reds too, they're at a disadvantage. They have some terrible injuries. Things just aren't going their way. And God praise, God praise them. God bless their souls. I hope that something better comes this season, but at this point, who knows? So then my final story, because, you know, I'm typical. I'm, I'm gonna end the night talking about the Malachi Brewers, because boy, howdy, did they have a wild game yesterday. So they had a day game, uh, the series finale against the Atlanta Braves, in which they were tied 1-1 for the series. So winner take all, baby. Uh, important game. And Corbin Burns is on the mound with uh, facing, as you know, the opposition, the opposing pitcher, Max Fried, starting for the Braves. And it seemed like we knew it was going to be a good matchup, but all of a sudden I... I think it was in the third inning, Austin Riley hit a three-run home run to break the 0-0 ball game. And Marcel Ozuna hit a home run right after that, and the Braves had a 4-0 lead. This is something, though, that they didn't add any runs on. I'll say in quote-unquote regulation, but the Brewers, I think, where was it? Oh, uh, in the bottom of the fourth, the Brewers actually responded, which was kind of shocking. Of course, it wasn't to take the lead, but they managed to cut the lead in half by getting two runs in. One of those being a getting the bases loaded, Rowdy Telez getting a single to score Hunter Renfro, and boom, 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 able to get two points on the board, um... Oh, because of Tyrone. Oh, sorry. Let me repeat this. Uh, essentially, Tyrone Taylor got a single that allowed Yelich to score. Um, and then after that, Ruddy Telez also got a single to score Hunter Renfro. So cut the lead in half, but they weren't done yet. And I see <laughs> Joe from Hungry Take says, may have to leave now. <laughs> and that is because Braves fan. And listen, this is a really good series, and I think this game is kind of a ridiculous anomaly, which is why we have to talk about it. So in the sixth, uh, Brewers added on another run, and Mike Brousseau got a two-out RBI double, so Brewers within a run. Coming up to the end of the game, things were looking a little dicey, but you know, you're looking to find any way possible to just tie it up, to make it happen. And... The Brewers were doing that with their guys in the bullpen, Trevor Gott, uh, Luis Perdomo, and Devin Williams. And they combined to have no runs in the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings and were able to keep it at a one-run game. So Brewers, last chance up in the ninth. They were facing Kenley Jansen, former Dodger, and Jace Peterson managed to get walked. And then after that, uh, we stole base and was in scoring position. Colton Wong, uh, on a full count, hit a triple. 
and managed to score Jace Peterson to tie the game. But the Brewers, sadly, even with having Colton Wong on third, were not able to score him and did not do anything with that there. Um, Mind you, when he did get that triple, there were two outs. So extras, and this is a Brewers' first extra um, innings game of the season. And in the 10th inning, I believe they scored. The Braves did score. Um, so they had to respond yet again. And Holby Milner was pitching. who He was able to finish out the inning after Acuna scored. But going into the bottom of the 10th, Yelich, uh, essentially there was a, um, you know, um, this is the whole thing. I didn't realize that, um, the extra inning rule was still going to remain where you had a runner on second, but it's important to note that's still in play for this season. Christian Yelich got a single, moved Arias to third, Hunter Renfro scored Arias, and then they, (laughs) then they didn't do anything else the rest of the inning. And had to move into the 11th, tied at 5. And of course, uh, wouldn't you know it, same thing happened in terms of all of a sudden the Braves getting that lead back 6-5. to five, uh, With facing Trevor Kelly, who made his Brewers debut in the top of the 11th. Um, but, you know, only the one run, 6-5. to five. So then, heading into the bottom of the 11th, uh, Keston Hira, he walked it off and the thing of note that everybody was talking about because it is just a spectacular story was that that morning he had been brought up from triple a uh due to adamas being put on the il to his dismay so they had to bring him back in keston just has not done much this season whenever he's been up for the brewers he's been doing well in triple a but it just hasn't been translating and wouldn't you know it he hit a home run, hit the batter's eye, and ended the game 7-6. to six. And it's just a really great story. If anybody deserved to have done that, it was him. So nothing but respect for him, and I'm just really happy for him. He, it's, he's a hard guy to dislike. It's hard to not get frustrated with him, but it's really amazing to see it happen and to see potentially a moment that is going to help him be on the mend and give him that sort of boost to keep it up and continue performing at a higher level. Um, It was also a pretty good sign for the Brewers because out of everybody who started the game, they all reached base at least once. The only one though um, that didn't record a hit was Caratini, but he did get walked. So made it on base that way. But it was a fantastic outing for the Brewers. Honestly, an instant kind of classic of the season, facing the Braves, um, honoring once again Henry Aaron, Hank Aaron, hammering Hank. And it's always nice to have the teams face each other. I did not cover, even though I wanted to. Maybe I'll save this as like a bonus story next week. Um, there was also a fan who managed to make it on the field. Uh, shirtless and was trying to get high fives from Kenley Jansen, Jace Peterson, and more. And I was um, like moving out of my studio. So I was really confused because I was listening to the radio. And Bob Euchre said, uh, there is a 
ordeal on the field and was really not explaining it. And then he said, uh, he's like, that guy's probably going to end up in the cooler tonight. And I was like, what the hell happened? And then I looked it up after seeing that it was just a guy shirtless running around and juking, breaking ankles of the security there to avoid getting tackled. But he eventually was taken off the field. But if you haven't seen the videos of it, I'd highly recommend looking it up. But that's going to do it for tonight. Thank you guys all so much. And I'll see y'all next week. Love you.